Thank you for downloading our podcast. We are tempted to pursue a more tangible religion. We can fall into a trap and think we need more than Christ. But Hebrews assures us that Christ is all we need. Join us as we study Hebrews to learn more about our great Melchizedekian priest who presides in heaven and calls us on this wonderful earthly pilgrimage. As we get to the end of of Hebrews, we're almost uh, finished with this book. Lord willing, uh, next week will probably be our last week in the book, and I have I don't know where we're going next, so I don't know what to tell you other than next week. I'm sure I will tell you where we're going. It'll be somewhere in the Old Testament. I have some ideas in mind, but I'm not ready to share them at this point, uh, so I don't want to be committed. Um, As we go on, though, and we think about the book of Hebrews, and and we think about what we've learned and how the author of Hebrews is, is wrapping up his word. He's reminding us of some very important things. One of the things we learn in this is it's very easy for us to fall into a mindset of being a a history major. One of the historic fallacies we have is a glory day fallacy in in history. And we can do this in a Christian life. And and we can think, boy, if if I had the temple, if I had the exodus, if, if I saw the Red Sea, man, my Christian life would be radically different. If I could just be in that time instead of my time now. And by and large, getting to the end of Hebrews, it seems that's really what this church is struggling with. Those were the glory days. These are not the glory days. Something is lacking right now. And it's not in me. It's something in the provision of God, right? You kind of get that sense as the author of Hebrews gives very strong exhortations, reminds us of the sufficiency of Christ. And as he wraps up his letter and his exhortation, we're reminded again. We can say, oh, well, that's an Israel problem or, or that's a Jewish problem. But the reality is we ourselves can fall into a mindset of the glory days and say, boy, if I was in that time or if I had this, I would be a radically different person. Rather than thinking, who am I right now in Christ Jesus, and what does it mean to be in Christ? And so as we go through the end of this, the author of Hebrews really wants us to to have a conscious, a very conscious perspective. And so what is that conscious conscious, uh, perspective we are to have as we sojourn under the sun, as a people that can feel the unrest of this age, uh, the, the fallenness, the brokenness of this world. How do we make sense of it? Where do we find our joy? And that's what the author of Hebrews wants us to understand. And on the one hand, it's very simple. <laughs> on the other hand, it's very difficult because of who we are. The problem, again, is with us, not with God. And so I guess I gave away the end of the sermon. Uh, but going on, dividing this and seeing how this works out. We're called to remember our leaders for a particular reason. We're called to remember our sacrifice, not just the sacrifice of Christ. And we're called, lastly, to remember our calling, uh, as he reminds us and basically wraps up this series of exhortations. And so let's begin with the remember our leaders. And the author of Hebrews says this in verse 7, to remember your leaders. He's speaking of a particular class of leaders. 
He's speaking of those who's preached the word or brought the word to you, those who brought the gospel. And so it's important in Hebrews because you think, well, the sacrificial system's everything, the temple's everything. And the author of Hebrews is saying, actually, the preaching of the gospel does something. And as the preaching of the gospel does something, remember your leaders. And so he's calling to their attention that these men who have come into the church have been ordained and set apart by God to preach the gospel, the gospel of Christ. Now, when we hear this, we think, well, who could those leaders be? Well, probably Apollos, could be Barnabas, most likely Paul. Uh, we find uh, that it's Timothy, who's the one who's uh, going to be released pretty soon. So, as we hear this, uh, we understand that there's a lot of men that we can think of in terms of the book of Acts who have gone through this church. So, what he wants them to do is not just to, to think about the leaders in particular. In other words, that the men make the gospel effective. But to remember their teaching. Remember the gospel. Remember who Christ is. Re remember what they have communicated about Christ. Now, as he mentions this, this remember. So often we, we hear this in English, it's hard to, to bring into our language. But he's used this before in, in Hebrews. And he's talked about it in terms of the heroes of the faith. Uh, we have those who we can find throughout Hebrews 11, those who remember their land. Now, it's not talking about the land of Canaan, and it's not talking about the temple. Uh, sometimes it's translated thinking about or looking to, uh, but it's the same word. So this remembering is, is having this, this mindset, this consciousness that I am a child of God. I am destined for heaven. That is my goal. And that's what Hebrews 11 points out. As they walked by faith, where are they walking? Where are they going? They're not a people without a destination. They're not just walking in circles. They're remembering the promises of God. We have Joseph in, in Hebrews 11 verse 22. Remembered or make memory of the promised land. Told them to take his bones. And so when, when Joseph's thinking about this, it's not that he has a superstition of his bones being buried in Egypt. The reason he wants them brought to the promised land is he's seen in his own life hope against hope. Remember, this is a, a favored brother who was rejected, discarded, sold into slavery, uh, rejected even in, in Egypt, and, and you know, left basically to rot in jail, and eventually is delivered up and by the grace of God and his providence, all of a sudden becomes the second in command in Egypt. You, you can see how someone like Jake, Joseph would say, wow, the promises of God are, are quite amazing. Uh, he really is a shield and defender. And so when, when we're called to remember these leaders, it's not just remembering these particular people. It's contemplating, thinking about the promises of God, meditating on the promises of God. Uh, Clowney wrote a very good book on Christian meditation, uh, countering some of the other meditation things that were going on in the 70s, and is still quite active today. But Clowney talks about, you know, that setting your mind on the promises of God. What are the promises of God? What, what, what do they mean? What is Scripture teaching? What does it mean that God is a shield and defender? That's the invitation of what Hebrews wants us to understand. This is why he's saying the outcome of their faith 
And he's talking about imitating their faith. How do these men conduct themselves? Well, they may struggle. They may have their, their issues or whatever you want to say. But the reality is, how do they conduct themselves? They conduct themselves in the confidence that they are before the face of God. And then it's the Lord who is their judge. And as they go about their days, their desire is to please the living God. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, see how these men orient their lives desiring to please the living God. In other words, God is not absent. God is not distant. God is not uh, some aloof being, as sometimes we may think of him, not caring or not hearing our prayers. The author of Hebrews is saying, what do these men do? as they get shipwrecked, as they face persecution, as they face all sorts of things as a consequence for their faith, what do they do? They persevere. They endure. Why? Because the Lord is gracious. Now, as he goes on, he wants us to understand the significance of Christ. This is where we're, we're learning something important in terms of our Christian encouragement, how we encourage one another. He gives a pretty good hit, verse 7. Remember your leaders, remember who they are, remember the gospel, think about those things, don't turn away. And it says, remember Jesus Christ. Think about him, think about who he is. He is the one who is consistent today, tomorrow, yesterday, and will always be. And we may not understand the, the force of this, but we can put this in a couple scenarios. Uh, the author of Hebrews has addressed in Hebrews 7, Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10, the inferiority of the earthly priesthood. One of the things that makes the earthly priesthood so inferior to Christ is you wait for a successor. You don't know who the successor is going to be. Maybe he's faithful, maybe he's not. You don't know. But Jesus Christ, continually faithful. Think about another scenario that might hit more home to the Gentile um, members of the congregation. You think about the arrangement of slavery. Now, I'm not saying slavery is right. Uh, personally, my view, as we read the New Testament, it's the Lord, uh, by His common grace, understanding that human beings are sinful, wicked human beings. And so, He allows us to have this practice, and He gives us provisions to remember how we do this. But nevertheless, when you think about the arrangement of slavery, some circumstances were absolutely horrible. You have record of the church fathers or the early church buying individuals out of slavery, actually doing what they can to buy them out of a horrible circumstance. Other situations weren't so bad. And the slave actually had a pretty good life. But the problem there is you have a good life as long as the master is alive. Let's say the master's son hasn't always been nice to you. You are a property of the estate. So in terms of your redemption, your, your redemption could radically change. Your master might be a very gracious, benevolent, understanding man, but the son who takes over the estate might not be very benevolent and very kind. And so when you hear Jesus Christ is the same forever, this means our terms of redemption or enslavement do not change. But it's also a reminder we are slaves of Christ Jesus, and what a gracious, glorious master he is. So the author of Hebrews is saying we have to see the one Christ and who he is. We have to cherish his goodness. We have to cherish who he is as our redeemer. 
What's going on in terms of Christ being the one who continues to show uh, this mercy and this grace as we go about our days? That he wants us to understand the consistency of Christ never changing. That he's the one who's always the same, continues to be the same. And so when we see our Lord Jesus Christ and we understand who he is as a great Melchizedekian priest, this is telling us something very profound about the arrangement with Israel that's sort of calling the Jew and Gentile church to understand their placement. The Jews seem to want to go back to a worship uh, that's more tangible, uh, a worship that's more in terms of, of the temple. And we find that the author of Hebrews is telling us, no, you're looking to the same Christ. So how we have to think about Israel is there's Israel in the land, there's Israel outside the land. It's important, as the Apostle Paul says to uh, the Corinthian church, that when uh, Moses struck the rock, that rock was Christ, right? So it's not saying the rock's literally Christ, uh, but it's calling attention to life coming from the rock. And so when, when we hear this, and we understand that this Jesus Christ is our Redeemer, and we see Israel in the land, outside the land, it's not that God changes, but he's teaching us different things. Israel in the land, he is teaching us that he is a God who wants to be personal with his people. He wants a relationship. He wants to dwell in the midst of us and wants us to dwell in the midst of him. And in the most glorious days of Israel, that's a, a beautiful picture of God communing with his people, seeing the temple, the glory of the temple. Israel outside the land, why does the Lord Make them wander the wilderness. They grumble. They complain. And, and they're ones that say, well, the Lord can never give us such a land. And so the Lord teaches them, who's your shield and defender? Who's going to actually sustain life through some of the harshest and most unsustainable circumstances? The Lord. When they go into the land, what does the Lord remind them? Hey, did, did you need new sandals? Did your shoes ever wear out? Uh, did you have food? Did you have water? How likely is that to just stumble on these things? The Lord's calling to them, who's your shield and defender? Who's your redeemer? This is what the author of Hebrews is saying. Jesus Christ is a manifestation of the promises of God. He is your redeemer. Find life in him as you embrace him, hearing his glorious and gracious call through the gospel. Going on then, verses 9 through 16 we find this call for us to remember our sacrifice. Now, it's important, again, it's hard to divide this, but we're moving this into another scenario. Verses 7 and 8, the author of Hebrews is saying, here's the orthodox gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's saying in verse 9, now listen, so people have come to your church, they've preached things that are not in line with the Apostle Paul. They preach things that are not in line with Moses. They preach things that contradict the prophets. So, don't listen to them. These are things that are deviant. They're going away from the truth. He, he calls them basically deviant and, and foreign teachings. Uh, things that are outside of, of what Scripture teaches. This is not how God has designed and engineered us. And so, as we're going on, saying, well, what's, what's wrong with this? What, what's going on? Well, he wants us to understand the heart is strengthened through grace. 
Now, how does this grace come to us primarily? Well, we find in the book of Hebrews, by Christ Jesus, we find through the power of the gospel, as he's a word of life, you think of Ezekiel in the valley of dry bones and how there's death, he merely preaches or speaks, and there's life. That's what the author of Hebrews wants us to think about. That's the primary way we have life. These divergent and strange teachings, we, we might think maybe there's something there, but when he starts talking about the foods and, and, the, and the other things that they're requiring, uh, we kind of debate this, but it seems this is sort of a Judaizer influence that you take some of the foods and some of the dietary rules and then all of a sudden you have this different experience. And as you have this different experience, uh, you all of a sudden experience the grace of God. And the author of Hebrews is saying that's, that's, not, that's not how this happens. Uh, these deviant ones who are coming, they're, they're not teaching you how to be strengthened truly by grace. Now, if you take verse 9 and you look at verse 7, so if your Bibles are still open, a commentator points out, I think, a helpful parallel between these verses. So you have in verse 7 the call to remember the leaders. So these are the ones who preach the true gospel of Christ. Remember them. Now we go down to verse 9, and, and what do we have? Uh, we have that there's this uh, divergent teaching. So there's a one Lord Jesus Christ, then there's this teaching that's deviant from the truth. Verse 7, your former leaders. In other words, these men, they were on the mark. They understood the gospel. They laid it out properly. They lived their lives in light of it. Verse 9, we have now those strange ones who bring a deviant or strange doctrine. Uh, we have verse 7, the word of God of Christ. And when you look through Hebrews, this is dealing with the incarnate word, the action of God, who Christ is. Uh, we have Christ who confirms the promises, right? This is what we've heard in Hebrews. Verse 9, we have these basic human teachings. They're, they're deviant. They're not consistent. Verse 7, the reminder that we remember the working out of the faith, the outcome, that the struggling, the perseverance through the difficult times. We have in verse 9, not holding out the means of perseverance and power, holding out deviant things that are not really growing and cultivating grace. Uh, we have verse 7 again, their faith calling to our attention. Verse 9, foods in the place of faith. So when you take these verses together, it, it opens up what the author of Hebrews is reminding us. Christ Jesus is the one who secures. As we hear the pure gospel of Christ, we hear the words of Christ. So now he goes on and, and he builds on this. And, and the reality of uh, verse 10 as we move on, this debate of the altar. Now some take this in terms of the sacrament. Uh, that teaching actually comes about a century after the writing of the book of Hebrews. So that's not the intention. The intention of this is talking about table fellowship. This is something else a lot of times we miss in terms of like the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Uh, let's say you have a really good year and you say, man, God's been so good to me. He's blessed me in a harvest. God's just been abundantly gracious. So I'm going to give a thanksgiving offering and that would be a meal 
that basically a family would sit down with the priests and you'd be thinking about the goodness of God. And it's actually praising God. So it's having this table fellowship with the priests in the presence of God, basically saying, thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. It's not a required offering. It's just a thankful offering. And so this, this table fellowship is important. You think of Peter's vision. If he can eat with a Gentile, if, if, if they're one in the same, well, the vision is not about whether or not Peter can eat pork. The vision is whether Peter can share a meal with a Gentile. So this table fellowship that's called to our attention in verse 10 is that reminder that you either come to the right altar or you go to a deviant altar. So if one is looking to Israel in the land as the way of life and the only way to experience God, they're not understanding the intention of the temple. They're not understanding the work of Christ. They're eating at a different altar. They're eating at a different table. They're having fellowship with different individuals is the implication of it. It's the fellowship that they are keeping. It's saying they are not in the Christian camp. It's a pretty stern warning. Going back to Hebrews 6, warning of apostasy. So the call for us is to think about, well then, how do I know if I'm in the right camp, right? I mean, that's a valid question. How do I know if Christ is my Christ? This is where he goes on. He's basically building on Leviticus 16. So if you want to understand Hebrews, it's good to read Leviticus 16 and be familiar with it. And so basically, when you're going through uh, verses 11 uh, through... Uh, basically 13, uh, you have this understanding of what's going on. So basically summarizing this, the point is you would have the sacrifice. The requirement was that anything that was left over in the sacrifice would have to be burned outside of the camp uh, because this is the unclean stuff. This is the stuff that contaminates the altar. So it's important to understand Hebrews 9 he talks about Christ basically being brought into the heavenly tabernacle, right? The, the heavenly glory. He's being slaughtered there in the presence of God. Now he's dealing more with sort of the cleanup efforts. And he's not so much talking about the blood on the altar. It's a rather brilliant argument. He's saying, what about the reproach of Christ? And he's setting the stage that like the animal that was treated as unclean, a contaminant, one, one that, that would make the temple dirty and the altar dirty is the one that had to be brought outside the camp to be burned up and consumed so the altar could be cleaned and cleansed and the temple could once again uh, be worthy. Well, Christ, when he's marched outside the camp, the author of Hebrews is saying, what, what happens there? He's bearing our approach. He's being declared as unclean. He's being declared as one who is an outcast. And then the author of Hebrews goes on then and builds from this and says, you need to understand what Christ did. It's not about the altar. It's not about the temple. It's about being in the presence and communion of the right people. And so if Christ is the one who bears reproach, and you think about the, the Jewish individuals, what Christ says in Luke 14 about being willing to walk away from your family. The author of Hebrews is saying the reality is your family might not like you being part of the Christian community. They might not. And as you're part of the Christian community, you've got to ask yourself a real question. Do you want to commune with the people who worship in the presence of a false god 
having an ideal of what they think is the ideal worship? Or do you want to worship in the presence of the true God? He's saying, you got to think about this. Because we think about Hebrews 11, how there are those who orient their lives in light of who they are. You think of the Apostle Paul. The man could have had an easy, easy life if he stayed a Pharisee. He was willing to bear the reproach. That's what the author of Hebrews is getting at. Why was the Apostle Paul willing to bear reproach? Why were people willing to be sawn in half? Why were people willing to sojourn away from a comfortable land? Why were people willing to suffer? Because they saw the fellowship they had in the living God. So the author of Hebrews is saying, if you have to bear reproach to go outside the camp and your family doesn't accept you, that's, that's unfortunate. And that's sad. And that's tragic. But the reality is, you're called to a new city. You're called to a new place. And we are in a place of a wilderness sojourn like we see with Israel. So the author of Hebrews is saying, go on that wilderness sojourn, orient your eyes to heaven. That's life. That's where you find life. Understand who you are as the one who has been made alive in Christ Jesus. So continually follow him. So as we go about our days and we say, okay, well then, then how do we live? What does this look like? Well, he's telling us who we are. That we are those who through him, so it's through Christ Jesus, we are those who continually uh, make a praise of sacrifice. So this isn't just giving lip service to God, right? I mean, when, when, when we read this in our day and age, you might say, oh, well, so all we do is we say we, we believe in God. No, this, this sacrifice of praise to God gets back to what we're saying with remember. So he's recalling that concept. That it's the sacrifice of praise is that what we profess with our lips needs to be within us. It needs to orient who we are. The Hebrew would be the bowels of our being, basically the deepest recesses. The Greek would be our heart. Um, how we bring this in English, it would probably be closer to saying within our heart, within our being what orients us. So the author of Hebrews is saying, when we're continually offering up praise to God as a sacrifice, this is living in thanksgiving, living out the gospel, whatever that looks like. So instead of saying, what can God do for me? It's what do I do to bring glory to God? He reminds us then in verse 16. And again, you think about a situation where people have been in jail, they come out of jail, may have lost everything. So the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, listen, share. Share with those who, who need things. Be, be compassionate. Be generous. Um, understand that, that these individuals, they come out, they may not have anything. This is pleasing to God. It's just basically Hebrews saying, bear one another's burdens as you're joined together as a new family in Christ. We, we have our communion, our orientation, our fellowship as a people oriented in the one Christ as God's people. This isn't an invitation for us to be the piety police and wonder if people are doing this well enough. The author of Hebrews is very clear that this is a, an individual conviction. This is going to us individually. How am I being generous? How am I living out the gospel? And that's the invitation of this. How am I praising God? What, what needs to be more consistent in my praise unto the Lord? Uh, and so, it's not, am I in Christ, or boy, I've done so many things, I don't know if God can love me. 
Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 7. This is where we're learning how he exhorts us. No, you're grounded in Christ. No, he's taken away your sins. He bore your reproach outside the community. You are in Christ. Draw near to him. And now continue to ask yourself, how do I bring more glory to God? Not what can God do for me? What can I do to bring glory to his name? And lastly then, very briefly, verses 17 through 19, where we have this reminder again as he calls to us in verse 7. So you're finding verse 7 being pretty important in this section. That we obey our leaders, submit to them. So this is a reminder. Hey, you know, your leaders are here desiring to bring the gospel, desiring to see you at the heavenly banquet table. That's fundamentally where we all want to end up, right? I mean, we want to arrive at the goal. And he gives a, a reminder. They're keeping watch. They're guarding your souls. So it means, again, that the Lord puts leaders in place for a purpose, to care for you, watch over your souls, guard you, maybe at times give warning, but primarily pray. And then we find then that there's also that reminder of who the leaders are. You're to give an account to the Lord. So this is that reminder. It's not just a free-for-all. Uh, if a leader doesn't see this as a primary uh, uh, master of who we are, if we're not conscious that Christ is our primary master and that we're here to do His will, not our will, well, then we need to rethink whether or not we should be in leadership. That's the reality of it. The call is to understand, again, as leaders, not only how do I bring more glory to God, how does the church as a body uh, continue to bring more glory to God? How, how do we do this in, in a manner that honors God without being a burden like, like the Pharisees? And again, that's, that's a challenge, but it's this reminder, this exhortation uh, for us to understand uh, that we live out this gospel. And then he reminds us, but don't grumble, right? He says, what advantage is that to you? So this is recalling for us what we've seen with Israel. Because after all, if we're honest, I think all of us in some level or another can struggle with this, but if we're honest, uh, it's easy to think about what we do not have, isn't it? It's very easy to think, boy, if I had this, if I had that, man, I'd be the happiest, most content person. The reality is, the author of Hebrews is saying, think about what you do have. So this, again, is the remembering. Remembering the gospel. Remember what you have in Christ. Remember your redemption. Remember how unworthy you are to have this redemption. Remember the reality that Christ Jesus doesn't change. Your master is a gracious Melchizedekian priest who invites you to draw near. And so the author of Hebrews is recalling for us Hebrews 3 and 4, where Israel grumbled and they fell dead in the wilderness. So you can say, well, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Well, sometimes the squeaky wheel gets left in the wilderness. And that's what the author of Hebrews is reminding us. He's saying, think about how we conduct ourselves in terms of the community. We don't want to focus on what we don't have. We want to focus on what we do have. Where we need to grow, well... We want to focus on how do we do that in a manner that glorifies God without grumbling. That's a challenge, isn't it? Going on, this is what I really appreciate in this conclusion. Pray for us, right? So it's not that the leaders are infallible. It's not that leaders are, are perfect. He's saying pray for us. 
We, we struggle too. You know, we, we get down. We go through this age and wonder, boy, uh, where, where's, that, where's the end? Where's the, the glorious heavenly rest? What does that mean? So the author of Hebrews says, pray for us. But not just pray for us. He says that we would have a clean conscience. So the conscience, again, is that we're conducting ourselves, the confidence of faith, by the power of the gospel, seeking to bring glory to God, seeking to live out his will. And so he's actually asking the church to pray that the leaders would do this. So it's not, you know, don't, if you have concerns, you know, how do we first address them? Well, the first way you address it is through prayer. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Pray, call unto God. Pray that they would conduct themselves in a clear conscience. And then what? To act honorably in all things. Again, that's seeking to be conscious of who we are in the redeemed Lord. He goes on then. He says, I urge you to do this. Notice how confident he is in prayer. Now, we don't know entirely who wrote the book. I have my theories, uh, but we, we don't know. I, I don't know if it's the Apostle Paul. I, I have my doubts by the way it's written, but whatever the case. The author of Hebrews is saying, do this so I can come to you sooner. I mean, this is one of those things when, when you think about prayer. Christ himself praying prior to going to the cross. Christ himself praying in his ministry. The author of Hebrews being confident that when you pray for these things, I'll be released, I'll be able to come to you, doors will be opened. And so it's that reminder where certainly God is sovereign, but there's a call for us as we're expressing our desire before the heavenly throne room that the Lord hears these desires. He, he brings about his will. Uh, he is a God who is certainly near and personable. So then how can we be assured in this age that we experience the Lord's provision and his graciousness? You see, our problem is that we see the lacking of this age. Our problem is we get distracted by the brokenness of this world. It is broken. There's sin, there's no doubt, and, and there's unrest. Hebrews doesn't deny that. There, there is unrest. And we're never going to find full satisfaction in this age. That's the reality of it. If we're looking for this world to bring us the full satisfaction of what we desire, we will be disappointed. We're not going to find it. However, we can begin to appreciate each day that God has given us. We can join with the psalmist in saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because we are redeemed people. And we have a privilege of living for Christ and living in Christ and living in his redemption. And so in our times of doubt and our times of struggle, we certainly bring these before the Lord. And in our bringing this before the Lord, we should also ask for clarity. Lord, why, why am I so unrest? Why is there so much unrest within me? What, what's going on? When we're doing this, we're asking the Lord to actually open us up and to convict us of things. Maybe there is something tragic that has happened. And maybe we do have to really work through something tragic. That's, that's a reality. That's a common curse. Maybe there's just something within us that we just don't have a clear perspective. And, and we need clarity on that. And the Lord convicts us. And the Lord is able to do that. As we go about our days then, it's understanding that our fundamental joy is living in the service of Christ. I leave you with a quote from Calvin where Godfrey used to always remind us of this as seminarians. 
that Calvin and all that he's done, all that he's written, uh, he's got his pros, he's got his cons, whatever you want to say. But one thing that Calvin said that has always stuck with me from Godfrey's classes is Calvin saying it is enough to live and die in the service of the Lord. Let us have that conviction that it's enough for us to live our lives in the presence and service of our Redeemer who has been pleased to make us alive and secure us in Christ. Amen. Thank you for watching or listening to our podcast. Belgrade URC is a Reformed Bible-believing church that seeks to cultivate community around our Savior. If you desire to learn more about Christianity, please join us for worship each Sunday at 10 in the morning or 6 in the evening. You can do this in person or on our live stream. You can also utilize our archive sermon series on our website, urcbelgrade.com, or subscribe to our current sermon series through most common podcatchers. Until we meet again, may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you. Thank you.